welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and on this week's edition, the United States Grand Prix, Mercedes wins the Constructors' Championship, and nothing goes wrong at Ferrari. That's all to come on this edition of the Strategy Report. Reviewing the United States Grand Prix, where one championship was decided, another one was pretty much decided, if it wasn't already, let's be honest. I'm joined by Nathan Harper from Beer Mogul Games, the people behind Apex Race Manager. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. Recovering nicely from the time zone discrepancy between Australia and the United <laughs> States. Uh, actually, no, to be fair, it's one of my favourite time zones. It was fantastic. Yeah, I yeah. think you just get up. It's easy. It's only an hour earlier than I'd normally get up anyway, and you... You get into your day. You started with Formula One. What better? What better start to the day could there be? It's and it's been worse than that in the past. From memory, I don't, maybe something changed, or they fell into our daylight time, or mm. something changed because uh, it's never been this good in the past. Well, you know what did change? Justin Timberlake turned up this Woo. year. He pushed qualifying back by two hours. That's the power of Justin Timberlake. Uh. What about all of that wrestling stuff? Oh, that was just, I think that was, that was worked into the schedule. I want to start there, actually, before we get into the strategy of the race. There's so much controversy around this uh, introduction by Michael Buffer, the boxing announcer. I really liked it. I'm putting all my cards on the table. What did you think of it? Uh, to be honest, I woke up 15 minutes before the start of the race. So, <laughs> so I actually saw uh, Daniel come out and a couple others. And even with that, I was thinking, like, I thought it was good fun, mm. but I was also thinking, oh, this is getting a bit tired and <laughs> I only saw about four. So uh, I can only imagine what um, it would have been like if I'd seen it from the start. It did go for a good 10 minutes. So it was mm. it was fairly protracted, but nonetheless, I think a, a good move. I liked it. Some drivers got into it more than others, though. I think Sebastian Vettel wasn't too impressed, but, <laughs> I bet. but Daniel, oh, and Lewis was in his element. Oh, God, yeah. Lewis would love it every race, I reckon. <laughs> Probably has it just when he walks through the door at home when he gets back to Monaco after every Grand Prix. But anyway, that's by the by. That's not the race. That's not involved with the racing at all. What was in the race was Lewis Hamilton winning relatively easily uh, mm. again this season from pole position uh, to not claim the championship, but to put it in such a, a realm that he's almost certainly going to win it in Mexico. Something catastrophic would have to happen. Mm. Vettel-esque even, dare I say, would have to happen in Mexico for him not to win the championship. But Mercedes did win the Constructors' title over Ferrari. If we can talk there very momentarily, because this has been a really interesting battle throughout the season. It's been really the source of a lot of the strategic differentiation this year, because Mercedes, for the first time in three years, though the points in this race don't really suggest as much, uh, has not had the fastest car for all of the year. In mm. fact, maybe only at best half of the races. And yet they've come up and and really fought back against a, a renewed Ferrari threat this year in a way that's made the season really quite exciting. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, and it's certainly not what we thought was going to happen, you know, even at the at the, uh, at the summer break. Mm -hmm. It didn't look like it was going to be so, so one-sided by the end of the year. Yeah, and it's really come down to the last three Grand Prix before this one, before the United States, the Asian mm. leg of the season, where Ferrari just completely imploded by combination of driver error and, and technical problems, which we've discussed in this program before. And that sort of contributed to why Mercedes has won it so early and, and why, of course, Hamilton will win it so early next weekend. But nonetheless, it, it's been a pretty interesting fight. And it was the case in this race as well, where it was a bit of an 
unknown as to who was going to have the faster car, how it was going to pan out over the race. And as we've seen before, when practice is a little bit curtailed, cars don't always get it exactly mm. right. And while not everyone had their practice curtailed, one driver that did was Sebastian Vettel. Uh, he had some problem with his car, so much so they couldn't figure it out and just changed the entire chassis on Friday night. And as a result, we saw that he wasn't completely on it in the race in a way to really maximise the strategic options available to him. Oh, definitely. And um, it was also pretty obvious that they had it cranked up for the start. And then mm-hmm. after a few laps, it was like, oh, sorry, we've got, we've got to turn it down. <laughs> we can't leave it. Like, your spark plugs are going to blow up again. <laughs> <laughs> They're 59 euro each, don't you know? You can't afford a, an endless supply of them. In fact, I think the commentators at one point when Vettel was passed, I did like how shocked they were at how relatively easy Mm. Hamilton passed him. They assumed Vettel must have had a problem, but no, they just had to sort of revert back to the norm. Everything had to come back down to 10 from 11, and and that was where he stayed behind Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I I think after the race, I saw a comment from Lewis saying the same thing, that he was just, you know, extremely surprised that effectively uh, the door was left open for him to just drive through. And now there are two things, I suppose, that that this came down to, this very opening stint of the race. Sebastian Vettel had a fantastic start. He's had pretty good starts for most of the year, to be fair, except for Singapore. We won't talk about that one. Mm. Uh, but in Austin, he he sides down the inside of turn one, past Lewis Hamilton, took the lead, lasted only six laps, like we were saying. Hamilton made it relatively easy. But this was somewhere between a one-stop and a two-stop this race. And I feel like we say that every week, and it's always just a one-stop. But some cars did try a two-stop this time, which is... Exciting for us, I suppose. And (laughs) the difference was this first stint. I I thought it was really interesting. uh, The quote Lewis Hamilton said, I think it was on the podium or at least after the race, um, that he was watching as Vettel was in front of him, just using up his tyres, eating up his tyres because he had to. His car wasn't quick enough. He had to take a lot more out of those tyres. And that was kind of the key differentiator. Hamilton wasn't using them so bad, cruised past him and was able to easily one-stop from there. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of interesting. Um, And... Even the guys that did end up going for the two-stop, I think it kind of just came out in the wash. Uh, I mean, there was no real benefit in the end, right? They kind of they all got back to where they were. Yeah, pretty much because, I mean, for one, overtaking is relatively easy here, so that would favour the two-stop, mm. but it was a matter of if you can keep your tyres alive, it kind of negates that stop difference. And I think there was also a degree of no drivers really committing to a two-stop before the race. Everyone Mm. sort of did one a little bit last minute. Vettel did a two-stop, but he really only stopped because Max Verstappen dared him to. He did a sort of last-minute second stop, reminiscent kind of last year's Singapore Grand Prix, where you can have one car making a second stop. I think it was Hamilton then, and then everyone panics and does exactly the same thing. Further down the field, Lance Stroll was just having traction problems. He too stopped. Didn't really end up anywhere in particular. 11th, not no points for him. Brendan Hartley did it because it was his first race and he was struggling on the first set of ultra-soft tyres, wanted to try something different. Didn't really get him anywhere and Bottas only did it because he ran out of tyres completely, pretty much. So it was for him, and I think this is interesting, Mercedes and Bottas, difficult to maintain those tyres. And that really made the difference for him. That touch on the tyre still counts for a lot, even though we've got such durable rubber. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And I think... Um, the other other thing that made it really obvious that they certainly weren't banking on two stops was the fact that they all went to soft tyres mm-hmm. in the middle, right? Because um, if they were going to go two, surely they should have gone ultra soft, super soft, super soft. Um, 
to get them to the end in the fastest possible time, but they ended up with the soft tyre in the middle there, which may have meant that we didn't see a lot of the benefit that could have come from a two-stop if they'd been more aggressive with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was Pirelli's preferred strategy, I think it was. It was their number one, was a ultra soft to two stints on the super soft um, to get to the end. But as usual, as we've seen for most of this year, and it's it's sort of a shame because this year has been fairly competitive amongst the the top group of six cars let's say uh and then everybody else uh, after that uh are competitive amongst themselves but we've seen only conservative strategies not very many people have been tending to risk it everyone's just been trying to one stop and yes that's partly because the tires are, are quite hard this year as we've talked about before but it is a little bit of a shame it's almost like they've all they all lost their ambition for some reason yeah um i will note though that uh brendan hartley did the ultra soft, super soft, super soft. He he looks like he was the only one that did it. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting was that Bottas, Bottas went ultra soft right at the end, mm-hmm. but still didn't manage to get the fastest lap. Like he had four laps out there, mm. no fuel, and ultra soft tires. And and uh, I think it was Vettel who ended up getting the fastest lap, right? Yeah, he, Vettel on, I think it was five laps from the end or thereabouts. Yeah, for whatever reason, Bottas just wasn't feeling it after that. And he was in clear air. Yeah. There's no one in front of him. So I don't know what was going on uh, with poor old Valtteri. But the ultra soft was a little bit... I'm even surprised, to be honest, that Vettel and Verstappen opted not to use ultra soft tyres uh, towards the end. I think Vettel may actually have had no new tyres of either description from memory mm. which is why he opted for a used uh super soft but for verstappen who saved a set of ultra softs in q2 he did have a spare set available to him but i suppose they were so impressed with that pace he had on the super soft at the beginning of the race when he was starting from the back and yeah. made up 10 places in 10 laps that they opted to put it there and play it safe but if you compare for example he stopped on uh, lap 37 so he had about 19 laps i think that is to run. Mm. Felipe Massa had no trouble. He stopped on lap 29 onto the ultra soft. That's uh, oh, quick maths there. 26 laps. Is that 26 laps? That's about that much on the ultra soft. And he actually, well, he made up ground in that final stint of his race. Mm. So uh, a lot of different responses from the same set of tyre. Maybe no one really trusting it around here. Yeah. And I think if you actually look back over the last five or six races, um, both Ferrari and Red Bull have tended to opt for not necessarily the fastest, mm. well, what we would call the fastest tire, the softest tire at, you know, during the race, unless they absolutely had to. So a lot of times they, they've had it on from the start because they've used it in quality, but they haven't wanted to use it as a race tire. Mm-hmm. They've tended to go for the, for one step harder in the race, even when they're stopping near the end. So maybe there's something we don't know there, something about the way that those cars are working on the softest compound. And it was interesting, if we talk about choices of tyre as well, that we have seen, it was the case here, and I think it was the case in Japan as well, perhaps Malaysia, where so far this season, because the tyres have been so hard, the allocation of the soft tyre, which in this race was the hardest one, almost no one's chosen them. They've all brought about one set, maybe two sets, which means that they had very little running in free practice on them. Mm. They ran only on super soft and ultra soft, and yet everyone did default to that tyre, and they had enough confidence on it, which was interesting. I know it's the the most common tyre, but partly this was this was partly down to what Hamilton was able to do in that final stint, because Hamilton and Mercedes in particular... 
are, are excellent on this tyre. They did so much pre-season running on this tyre all the way back in, in February and March. And in races like this where they had no testing on it at all and then opted to use it for an ambitious one-stop race. I mean, Hamilton did an awful lot of laps on that soft tyre. Yeah. It's all still paying off from back then, all that preparation. Yeah, it certainly seems like it. But interesting, like across the field, if you look at the Pirelli chart for that one, it's basically all yellow. Mm-hmm. Um so a lot of people used it, even though they didn't. Um, they didn't have many, mm, which is, I, I think, something we we'll probably see throughout the. I mean, Pirelli did say that over the course of a season, you know, the, the upgrades on the car increases the downforce, which means the tires wear more heavily. That the tires would slowly become less durable like they were at the start of the year they'd appear less conservative than they were so maybe we are slowly starting to see that happen and then of course next year they'll be adjusting all the compounds there's talk of course they'll have even more compounds next year who knows what they're going to call them it's going to be extremely complicated (laughs) who knows what colors they'll be as well it's difficult enough as it is Uh, yeah i agree but i I also kind of think um you know, if we're this far into the season and people are very confidently running ultra softs mm-hmm. for 20 laps yeah. that they also qualified on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that tells me that they're just too hard. This is true. I mean, considering these were meant to be like Monaco tyres mm. with the, the lowest grip situations and they're running them around a relatively high downforce circuit like Austin. Yeah, and a very long straight circuit as well mm-hmm. where everybody was concerned that these ultra softs would be, uh, you know, blowing up if they got any any sort of serious heat mm-hmm. but um yeah yeah so i think that's interesting and i think this this idea that next year there's going to be like six compounds and that teams will be able to choose any three to bring mm-hmm. to any race um i think that's going to be really interesting especially in the first year when everybody's mm-hmm. yeah. still trying to work it out <laughs> it's like everybody's going to anonymously put their um their allocations in for the first race yeah. and then the chart's going to come out and somebody's going to go oh shit <laughs> <laughs> oh no why did we choose all those what have we done that's going to be i'm going to enjoy that tension i, I will i think that'll be exciting come australia um if eventually that change does make it through but if we go past the first stint of the race there was opportunities for vettel to attempt to get past Hamilton, even mm. though he didn't have the car that was quick enough. He didn't have a car that was quick enough if he was going to operate on the same strategy, a, a one-stop race. So he tried to undercut Lewis Hamilton, and Mercedes didn't seem too perturbed by this. They seemed like they'd be okay, and they left Hamilton out an extra two laps. But by the time Hamilton came in, changed his tyres, and exited, what was a five-second gap between those two dropped down to less than a second. I think it was 0.7 seconds. And briefly, it looked like we might have another overtake, but... It didn't happen. It was incredible. I was really surprised because that was a lot to make up, Mm -hmm. um, especially when they were going from the softest to the hardest tyre in the stop. Usually it's the other way around where you get the undercut. Um, And, yeah, extremely surprised. But um, my guess is that... um, something else must have occurred as well. Like something must have happened on Lewis's inlap maybe that slowed him down because the stop was fine. Mm-hmm. But um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense that they could make up a good four seconds nearly in that stop. It's really interesting because I've gone through and, and looked at the sector times and the lap mm. times and it almost doesn't make any sense. Granted, my maths is not the best that this could have happened. But to be fair to Sebastian Vettel because his inlap wasn't that good compared to Hamilton's and neither was his outlap. I think he lost... Uh, it wasn't heaps, but he lost maybe a second over the course of those two laps in difference. Mm. But those two laps in the middle, uh, I suppose that would be 17 and 18, 
he set the next two fastest laps of the race. He was just yeah, extremely okay. quick. I think he made up three, nearly four seconds there, which accounts for, considering it was about a second over the line, more or less adds up. And I thought what was interesting was that, I think it was on the television as well, that he did a bit of a cheeky running extremely wide around that last corner because he was very mm. quick in that last sector just to try and get a bit of speed out of that corner to to attempt to pass Hamilton going into that first turn at that apex. And he got very close, didn't he? We saw him getting so squirmy uh, out of that corner, almost having a having a crash as the attempt to pass Hamilton, but he couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it was a bit disappointing. But, um, <laughs> so, so really, he just made it up by absolutely braining those two laps. Yeah, and I guess this goes to... I mean, it was a little bit fortunate for Ferrari in some senses because when we talk about the undercard, like you say, there's a huge amount of time to make up. Mm. Four seconds, ultimately, is what he made up. But that's because typically, if you pull the trigger for an undercut, the guy you're racing against will come in and cover you mm. because there's only so much time you can make up on one lap. Or will engage hammer time. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'd be sure he should have done that, but maybe there wasn't Maybe that much, was the yeah. problem. He didn't call for hammer time. They, they really made a mistake. They must have lost that button on the intercom somewhere. But it was 1.4. He only made up 1.4 or 1.5 on that first lap. Now, that's pretty good for an undercut, not enough for the five seconds. But it was that Mercedes was so ambitious to leave yeah. Hamilton out. Out, that we had this situation. He was pretty unhappy afterwards. Got on the radio, started complaining. Mm. What have you done? Yeah, yeah. I think um, he was, uh, yeah, he was definitely more surprised than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But you know that just shows the confidence of Mercedes, right? They can leave him out for another couple. They'll make it, or even if he gets in front, what would have happened? he probably would have just passed him again. Mm-hmm. And it does. I mean, you, you hear a lot about the Mercedes strategist James Vowles and, and all the computers they run there in the simulation. And ultimately, eight-tenths of a second, <laughs> maybe they were looking at one second considering the way Vettel blitzed that last sector. That's still ahead at the end of the day, right? Like mm. on, on a tyre they know they work well with and that Lewis Hamilton works well with, the soft tyre. One second advantage. It was one and a half by the end of the lap and it only grew from there. Uh, well, that's perfect. That's Formula One, right? These kind of margins. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, if we look further on, that was sort of where that settled down from that point. The second stint, already we could tell that Ferrari was not so quick. Uh, there was one final chapter to this race, and this was Max Verstappen, who... I mean, it's it's interesting because we've seen a couple of cars do this kind of thing, right? Start of the back, some of the quick cars, I mean, from the top six, you know, do the contra strategy. He started on the super soft tire rather than the ultra soft and make it back up to the top. And yes, it's a fantastic race. I think Ricardo did it in, in Baku and, and in Silverstone and Vettel did it in um, Malaysia. But these cars are so quick, this top six. And I think we've said it before, but... It's almost not that impressive anymore because they're just so much faster than the midfield, right? Yeah, it's kind of expected. And the other thing that always gets me when I watch, like, so, so the race in Austin and um, you think about uh, uh, Vettel in China, um, it's don't you don't you think it's a bit humiliating for Daniel Ricciardo? Like Max was nearly on the back of him at the point where he retired. Mm-hmm. Like he still had a couple of places to make up at that stage, but he was coming. Mm-hmm. He was gonna. He was gonna drive up and pass him. <laughs> and I, th- I think that's really interesting. It's like, so what is it? Is it just all the 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 heart and the wow? I'm gonna really show people <laughs> today, and I'm gonna come back, come from the back and smash him, or or do you think they? crank that car up to give it some extra juice knowing that they'll they'll probably burn the engine earlier 
There's no doubt that, I mean, Max Verstappen and, and Red Bull Racing set that car up for the race. They knew they were going to get this penalty mm. earlier on than between qualifying the race. So they had that opportunity. But, I mean, that's just how these first stints pan out. Verstappen was very impressive on that super soft tyre. But yeah. I think I'm right in saying when he met Ricardo. Ricardo had just made his stop and Verstappen hadn't yet. Obviously, Verstappen didn't pit till lap 24. Um, and of course, Verstappen led the race for a little bit once everyone had stopped in front of him. So mm. without taking away the fact that he was extremely quick in this race, um, that is the sort of discrepancy that that strategy kind of relies on, right? Like you get all the way to the top and then when you pit, you're not so far down anymore. And he did execute that really well because, I mean, while he had a huge gap to, to drop into because those front running cars were so much faster than everybody else, mm. um, he did do it really well because he was challenging for the podium at the end of the race. And podium is normally off limits if you're starting from the back. You're not meant to be able to get there. You're meant to be fourth or fifth, not third as he kind of was briefly for the last lap. Yeah, exactly. And I think... Um the fact that there was no safety car obviously mm. played into his hands as well because the whole field gets stretched out. And when he made his stop, he didn't actually lose mm-hmm. all that much road position. That does, yeah, that does contribute. There's a conspiracy theory still, though. Well, it's, you know, that's <laughs> fair to say because it was interesting Max Verstappen re signing for Red Bull Racing uh, this mm. weekend. And I think the line in the press release is something like Max now has the opportunity to build the team around him. Mm. And you, you do wonder where does that leave. Daniel Ricciardo, when it comes to things like car upgrades and comes to the best strategies, it's is is that just going to be the the domain of Max now at Red Bull Racing? I, it stands to be seen, I suppose. Yeah, who knows? It will be interesting to watch, but um, surely they're not. Uh, I mean, surely not this early. If they think he's going to, so he's going to be there next year, Ricciardo, mm-hmm. and question mark after that. Um, surely, you know, more than a season in, they're not already starting to, um, you know, plot against him. <laughs> <laughs> Getting the old Mark Webber treatment, yes. as uh, we might call it at Red Bull Racing. Yeah, car uh, number four. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, but Max Verstappen, uh, yes, an impressive drive, also contributed to the last bit of exciting action we had in this race, the second stop for him and Sebastian Vettel and well, incidentally, Valtteri Bottas, I guess, but that was probably already going to have to happen for him. Uh, he did that strategy that certainly counts. It's that one where you're kind of putting your strategists uh, against the, those of another team. You're, you're asking them to trust themselves or not. And uh, Max Verstappen was called in lap 37 to pit for a new set of super softs, like we said. And, and Sebastian Vettel responded because mm. he felt like he could have been under threat and that sort of made this race and what was further interesting was that Raikkonen wasn't pitted so he's essentially they gambled him whereas they used Vettel to cover Verstappen Raikkonen was a gamble they always gamble him (laughs) (laughs) that's his point that's his purpose at Ferrari he's the mobile chicane (laughs) and he did almost just enough in this race uh it was interesting because Vettel and Verstappen were very close. By the time Vettel was called into the pits uh, on the next lap, he came out, I think it was one and a half seconds or thereabout Mm. uh, in front of Verstappen, and that's more or less how they finished as well. But Vettel finished, I think it was 10 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton when he was about seven seconds behind Hamilton before he stopped. Oh, okay. So he didn't actually make it up. Yeah. So he didn't make that ground up in the end. He, He almost made that ground up. And granted, towards the end, he was trying to help Raikkonen. He was slowing down to give him 
uh, try and give him DRS to avoid Max Verstappen. Yeah, he seemed to be going very slow. Yeah, yeah. so it was part of the plan. Also, perhaps fuel management, because we know Raikkonen was managing mm. fuel towards the end of the race as well. But so he, he, at best, I'm, I'm willing to say he would have only just made up the ground he would have lost. And Verstappen obviously wasn't able to move any more forward than that, even without the penalty he got. So... I suppose there was a bit of panic there. I wonder if maybe Ferrari just wasn't trusting that it was fast enough at that point. Yeah, I think you're right. And so they just put a bet each way, right? So mm. they left Kimi out and um, bought Seb in. And the truth, uh, I suppose, is in the result. Now, Raikkonen did finish on the podium. He didn't finish third on the road. But Max was judged to have yeah, passed him. The Verstappen incident. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's consider this because I suppose this... <laughs> This, we can say, is the test as to whether or not Ferrari was right to bring Vettel in, right? Because they left Raikkonen out. Like you say, they split their strategies. Verstappen, did he pass Raikkonen or not? Mm. That's the question I'm asking you. Did he pass him? Yes, he passed him. But was it <laughs> was legal? Was he on the road? Was, it, was, was he the on the road pass? when he passed him? No, he wasn't on the road. I'm, I'm 100% in the steward's corner mm-hmm. on this one. He was uh, four wheels off. Um, when he passed him or as, you know, a fundamental kind of part of the passing Mm -hmm. manoeuvre and um, he deserved to have it taken off him. Uh, I I think there's absolutely no question. And, yeah, there was was track limits issues through that whole race, but... um, And and there's lots of documented evidence of of people going off the track at various points, but they they weren't doing it to pass Mm -hmm. somebody. I think that... That does make the difference. I think what was the difference between this and, say, other passing manoeuvres, none in particular in this race that spring to mind, but nonetheless, is that he wasn't alongside Raikkonen going into that corner. I think the stewards probably would have let him go had they been side to side on the run down to that corner. And then in which case you could just say... It felt like he was squeezed. Yeah, exactly. You could say yeah. Raikkonen was squeezing him or they simply ran out of track. And, mm. and we've seen that happen before and that's normally okay. I think a... I think from Spain, from memory, when Hamilton and Vettel were racing each other, one of them found themselves more or less off the track. I think it was Vettel. And that's fine Mm. because that's racing and when there's space there, you can use it. But to just from behind Raikkonen cut across the apex is probably not racing. Probably not sportsman. I don't want to say it's unsporting of Max because he was just doing what he felt was right at the time. But I think that's probably fair. The stewards are probably copying a bit of unnecessary flack in this situation, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's right. And um, as uh, as Jos Verstappen would say, <laughs> it, it's shit. <laughs> Jos and Mark Webber as well. They all have oh, their, yeah, yeah, that's their right. two cents. Yeah, Jos went off on Twitter. If you go and find yes. Jos Verstappen on Twitter, he <laughs> had some choice tweets sort of moments within each other. He was very... It was, it was Trump-esque, I At believe. At the FIA. <laughs> yeah. He was, um, he was worked up about it, but he's emotional, you know. He only lost one place. I thought what was interesting, though, we said how Raikkonen was only just fueled enough for this mm. race. Um, perhaps he was slightly underfueled because they knew the car wasn't quick enough, he was to say. Uh, he almost, in backing <laughs> off on that final lap once he stopped racing Verstappen, almost fell more than five seconds behind him. So the five-second penalty almost wouldn't have been enough to give Raikkonen back that place. I think the difference was... Uh, in the end, less than one second. It was nine-tenths of a second after you subtracted the time penalty from Verstappen. So Raikkonen fell four seconds in the space of maybe five corners off the pace. Imagine that. Had he been penalised and not got that place back. Do you think um, 
if he'd been more than five seconds, that the penalty would still have been five seconds? <laughs> well, that's a good question, actually. I was thinking this before. But then, do you think, had it been, let's say, 10 seconds, because I think that's the next available one, yeah. would it have been more controversial had he been given 10 seconds for moving off and the And Bottas could have snuck through, maybe. Well, yeah, I, possibly. I no, I think finished, he was much yeah. further back. But, you yeah. know, had he not made that last pit stop, perhaps he could have. Uh, mm. It's one of those interesting things in Formula 1, those stewards' decisions that I think people will be talking about for a little while. Let's give Bottas a very brief mention, um, just because I think it's... I, I want to be fair to him. He finished 30... You know, what was it? 56 seconds off the pace? No, 34 seconds off the pace, mm-hmm. I beg your pardon, uh, behind his teammate Lewis Hamilton, which seems like a lot. But he did have that last pit stop, which counted for a lot of that, obviously, uh, he couldn't manage the tyres as well as Hamilton. That much is of no doubt, even though he did stop one lap uh, sooner. But what he did have to do was fight a lot more. We obviously saw him fighting earlier on with Ricardo in the it's race true. in the first stint, and then he was fighting with traffic. He had to defend against Vettel and Verstappen later on in the race. And that made the difference for him. That made the four-lap difference for the tyres for him. So it really showed how much of a knife edge this strategy was. Yeah, and and I think, if nothing else, this year we've learnt that in race trim he's just not Mm -hmm. as fast right whether that means he's not as good at managing the tires or he's he's you know he's just not as fast a driver or whatever it is he's just not as fast lewis is stepping it up and perhaps you know unlocking unlocking more of the secrets of the diva (laughs) and uh and at the same time valtteri is struggling a little bit I can't wait for the season review DVD, The Secrets of the Diva. What a what a great title for a Formula One review. Yes. I think that'll be the way it is now that they won the championship. Mm. Um, so we'll see if he can unlock any more of those secrets through the last uh, three Grand Prix of the year. Uh, and we have to mention Force India. This is becoming a little bit of a running theme this season because they've implemented team orders. The, the I'm willing to say the most sort of solid, unquestionable team orders since or Ferrari in in the height of its team orders days because mm. there is no racing at Force India at all unless they really feel like they've got something to gain. But when they have pretty much the fastest car of the midfield, bar maybe Renault, um, they obviously can't move forward and overtake Red Bull or Ferrari or Mercedes. There's no reason for them to ask their cars to, to race forward. And we found this situation again, Esteban Ocon, in front of Sergio Perez and Perez having faster race pace, asked to... To, to let himself by or ask to race Ocon and, and wasn't allowed to. And I think in Japan, they were fine. They they crossed the line, uh, I think probably five and six or six and seven, wherever it was, they scored their maximum points. That was okay. But here, they lost a place to Carlos Sainz. And you've got to wonder, I mean, team orders may be not right for Force India at this point in time when it is still so competitive. Yeah, uh, uh, I think one of the interesting things for me is that even back in the day, Ferrari were at least a little bit guarded about it mm-hmm. until it came time to switch position on track. But <laughs> these guys are like, right from the start, they're, before the race even starts, <laughs> they're like, no, there will be no racing. <laughs> and so their opponents can now use that against them, mm-hmm. right? It's so true. when Carlos is coming up in that Renault, he knows they're not going to let the faster car through mm-hmm. and that he's got a very good chance that um, he'll be easy pickings because of the fact that he's jammed right up behind his teammate. I've always liked this phase in a team's growth. I remember the same thing happening uh, at Red Bull Racing in 2009 and 10 and and even those early years when, because they're still a relatively new team and they they have a certain uh, ethos about them where, you know, they're all about racing this and that. Then when they get to a point where they kind of have to use team orders 
they're a little bit awkward about it. They're a bit unfamiliar about it. Now, Fossin is obviously doing this because of all those crashes Perez mm. and Ocon had at various points and all the anger they had in that rivalry. They've completely neutralized it. But here is a, clearly a situation where, yes, you would have made Ocon unhappy. Maybe you would have destabilized the team. And I suppose they're not really fighting in the Constructors' Championship anymore, right? Like, they're so far ahead, there's not really any risk. Yeah. But the right decision here would have been to let... Perez passed Ocon earlier so that he could have uh, scored more points there. It would have been up to Ocon to defend at that point because Sainz got past Perez, I think it's fair to say, because Perez was stuck behind Ocon. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And he even offered to give it back. Yeah. <laughs> he was pleading. Um, uh, what I really want to see is uh, for for Perez to do really well. Maybe he gets a podium next race in mm-hmm. Mexico and he comes on the radio and says, not bad for a number two driver. <laughs> <laughs> Just to reignite all of that anger in the team that seems to have simmered down a little bit. Yeah, that'd be uh, awesome. It would be interesting to see. I mean, it'd be interesting just to see him on the podium in Mexico. I think no one would be disappointed with that. Um, because Perez, when he fell behind Sainz, he almost also fell behind Massa at the end of the race, who was running the ultra soft tyre at the very end. A much newer ultra soft compared to Perez's old soft. So mm. they only lost two points to Sainz, but they potentially could have lost four in total had they fallen behind Massa. And I think Kvyat was only a little bit further back. So mm. potentially could have been much more uh, difficult a day for Force India. But I suppose it was managed now and they can say that they only lost two points and their Constructors' Championship place is still okay. So nonetheless, something that's going to be really interesting to watch not only for the rest of this year, but certainly for next year now that we know they're keeping those same drivers there. How's that rivalry going to unfold? Probably badly. They normally do, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially when they're um, so similar. Mm-hmm. They, they always qualify together. They're always together mm. on the track. They always end up on similar strategies. It's not as if they even, you know, s- significantly break the strategies. Even in mm. this case, they pitted very – both of them pitted quite early to mm-hmm. go to the softs, Perez on 12 and Ocon on 14. But it wasn't like they, you know, tried to use an alternative strategy to, to – put them on different parts of the track at all Mm, perhaps that's something that they'll start doing next season because otherwise who's to say if Ocon's a better qualifier and Perez is the better racer inevitably they're gonna meet each other on track when they're maximizing the car like they are but it's another interesting aspect of Formula 1 to watch in the midfield at least and the midfield is still a little bit alive uh, as the championship draws to its close as it has for the constructors this weekend of the United States Grand Prix where Mercedes won its fourth consecutive world championship next week Almost certainly it'll be Hamilton's turn uh, to claim his crown, his fourth Drivers' World Championship. But that was the United States Grand Prix. Nathan Harbour, it's been a pleasure to look back on it with you. Thank you, Michael. That was the strategy report for the 2017 United States Grand Prix. But if you want to read more about the strategy from this week's race, go to f1strategyreport.com for the pit stop stats, tyre data and the write-up of all the action from Austin. Don't forget to subscribe to and rate our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you normally download your favourite shows. The Strategy Report is powered by the 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager, which you can download for free for iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you next week when we look back at the Lewis Hamilton Championship deciding Mexican Grand Prix.